Our reading for today comes from the ninth chapter of Luke, verses 28 through 36. Listen for the word of God. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, it is indeed good to be here. We ask that as we encounter this story, the wonder of it, the mystery that will unfold before us, we ask that you would be present to us, that we would see as you would have us see, and hear what you would have us hear, and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So it's Transfiguration Sunday once again. We celebrate it once a year, this stranger-than-strange story of Jesus going up on a mountain and becoming coming all dazzling white before his three of his twelve disciples, standing there with Elijah, uh, Elijah and Moses, which, in case you don't know, are people uh, that have been long gone. It is strange to be there. And I've preached on this before and heard Transfiguration Sunday sermons for my entire life. I've preached on the presumed what I presume to be the foolishness of Peter and the two other disciples wanting to stay atop that mountain and freeze that majestic moment in time as if you could just stay there and live like that and ignore everything else around you. I have preached on the need to come down from the mountain, how the transfiguration empowered them in their ministry ahead. And as I was thinking on this text this week, I... Recall a youth Sunday not too long ago when youth stood behind this very pulpit and recounted their own mountaintop experiences, and their testimonies were thoughtful, incredible. They told stories of times that they were so moved, and they were able to witness to those stories from this pulpit in a way that I'm sure was part of that transformational process. I love you Sunday because I get to sit in the pews and worship in a different way. And that Sunday, the youth took me to a mountaintop. 
But this time, in hopes of coming up with something to say from this pulpit, some wisdom on the transfiguration, I found myself coming up empty. This is one of those wild and mysterious stories that probably should just be told. I should have let Nicholas finish, let Patrick say we don't know some things we don't know, and then be done. But I'd like to keep my job. <laughs> this time as I encountered the story, the wonder of the story, the mystery of the story just seemed out of reach. I could find no analogy of contemporary living to set before you. And if I were to get more particular about this being on a mountain, the truth be told that my own actual mountaintop experiences, like physical mountaintop experiences, are of two natures. One is cozy uh, ski lift going up the mountain, hot chocolate at the end. And the other is of... a very miserable me, ascending the easternmost mountain in the United States of America, Acadia National Park's mountain, is that I don't even remember what the name is, in 1999 on the dawn of the new millennium so that myself and my friends could see the first sunrise in the United States of America. A couple things you should know about me on this Scout Sunday. I was not a scout. I do not climb mountains. We mostly walked up a road in the freezing cold. It was December 31st in Maine, after all. And like most things I did that I didn't really want to do, it was because of a boy. (laughs) That relationship didn't last. As as you may know from witnessing me here for nine years, uh, my poker face is not that great. It is especially not great at 3 o'clock in the morning when I am ascending a freezing mountain. But when the sun was set to rise, the mountain was enshrouded in a cloud, and it just got a little lighter. (laughs) I have not since climbed a mountain. Maybe someday in the spring or the early fall. I have never had a mountaintop experience real mountain or not, like this. I've never seen somebody transfigured in front of me. No one has ever started glowing except for um, that weird vampire guy in Twilight. (laughs) I've had incredible experiences that have been transforming in my life, but, but this story is mysterious. It's wholly other. I do not know what it would be like to see Jesus, Elijah, and Moses standing together on top of a mountain with Jesus all dazzling and white. Fortunately, as I prepared, I realized I'm in good company. Fred Craddock, who was recently deceased, uh, was an incredible preacher and a teacher of preachers, and he writes about this particular story. The question, what in our lives is a suitable parallel? does not even seem appropriate. Applications and exhortations trivialize. We would like very much to penetrate the mystery of this experience, but we cannot. Reading his analysis brought me great relief because, frankly, I can relate more to the nine disciples who were left at the bottom of the mountain than I can to the three who were chosen to go to the top. 
This week I have not felt like a mountain climber, but like a valley dweller. And I also was thinking about it, and this story is just a snapshot in time. We sometimes forget that Jesus and the three of his disciples were atop a mountain, but it was business as usual in the valley. So it occurred to me that perhaps my way in on this Transfiguration Sunday might be to consider what is happening on the bottom of the mountain. Maybe that will be a way to connect with the mystery at its top. Leading up to the story of this mysterious transfiguration on the mountain, Jesus, in the beginning of this ninth chapter of Luke, has asked his disciples to leave everything that they have and follow him. And then he gives them the power to proclaim and to heal. He gifts them the gift of leadership. He shares leadership with them. He invites them into ministry. And at that same time, we are told, speaking of leaders, there's a leader named Herod wrestling with his own mystery. Is this Jesus guy really John the Baptist, whom he beheaded, raised from the dead? Fear consumes this Roman leader. And we can imagine how this leader's fear might impact the lives of his subjects. Next up, Jesus brings his disciples along to feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and a few fish. A miracle in which Jesus invites his disciples to participate. And in verse 18, Peter has this incredible moment of clarity. Peter, who has all, a lot of moments of haziness, he responds to Jesus' question, Who do you say that I am? And he says, You are the Messiah. At which point, Jesus lets them in on the larger story, that he will suffer and die and be raised, which no doubt produced more confusion. Jesus tells them, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross, which I presume leads to even more confusion at the bottom of that mountain. These are stories just in one chapter in Luke, which lead us to the mountain. But when it is time to climb, only three disciples go up with Jesus. And the story that follows the transfiguration is actually included in today's lectionary reading. And if you don't know what a lectionary is, it's the prescribed set of readings week by week. But it was not included in the reading that we heard. This is what Luke tells us happens. On the next day, when they came down from the mountain, a great crowd met Jesus. Just then, a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. Suddenly, a spirit seizes him, and, and all at once he shrieks. It convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. 
So what does this tell us? It tells us that while Jesus was up on the mountain with James and John and Peter, the disciples have been down on the mountain trying to use the power that he gave them to heal and cure and proclaim the kingdom of God. The nine who are not getting that special mountaintop experience are still in the valley below trying to do Christ's work. And it seems that they have failed. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. While Jesus has been on the mountain, real, non-mysterious life has been taking place. And so, in preparation for today and trying to locate myself and ourselves within the larger story, it may be that we are more acquainted with what happens in the valley. Here in the valley is where suffering continues. Here in the valley is where we often try and sometimes fail to meet one another's needs. Here in the valley there is grief. Here in the valley, there are people sick and searching for healing. Here in the valley, we are attempting to follow Christ, but we are often missing the mark and falling short. In response to the transfiguration story, which witnesses to, among other things, the divinity of Christ, this is my son, God says. Journalist Debbie Thompson, Thomas argues that we must also witness to the agony of what is happening simultaneously in the valley. Suffering must also be given honest witness. It is hard, I think, for many of us to look to this wonder and awe on the mountaintop and this mystery when we are entrenched in day-to-day struggles of the valley. It is interesting that this text comes to us between the time of Epiphany, the revealing of God, the, the incarnation, then the revealing of who Christ is, and Lent, which begins this week. The time when we recall the wilderness struggle and we move with Jesus toward the cross. The time when we acknowledge our own separation from God and our own need for God and we give things up and we take things on in attempt to draw closer to our God. It occurs to me that valley living is wilderness living. So why this story at this time? I think we get a clue from Luke's telling of the story. The story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But in Luke, Luke is the only one in which Jesus and Elijah and Moses speak to one another. another. They speak of the departure that Jesus will endure. And the word for departure is actually exodus, a word Moses is, of course, very familiar with. And exodus means the way out. And they reveal in their speech that the way out will produce suffering and death. A stark contrast the dazzling glow of Jesus' face, face and clothes. The glory revealed on that day was Jesus' divinity, but it was also the truth-telling of what God would do and endure to be with us and for us, to move us 
through the valley, through the wilderness time to the resurrection. Transfiguration happens at the crossroads of epiphany and wilderness. So perhaps I can proclaim to you on this day that the greatest gift of this transfiguration is not the miracle of clothes dazzling, but how in one bright and shining moment, Jesus holds together the beauty and the pain of the world in his body. He holds this together for us, whether we feel that we are on top of a mountain or in the pit of the valley, in the wilderness, on the cross, or experiencing Easter. Transfiguration becomes for us a bridge between surprise and wonder of the incarnation, the revelation of epiphany, and the wilderness wanderings that lead to the cross and beyond. I believe I can wonder at this dazzling reminder of God's work in the midst of the valley, which leads to healing and hope. In his body, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is with us, in our grief, in our suffering, and in our joy. And we are known. Thanks be to God. Amen.